0: Hello, I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and retreat leader. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast, head on over to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website at paulajenkinsonline.com. Hi, friends, and welcome to Episode 10 of Jumpstart Your Joy. Thank you so much for listening in and for all of the wonderful feedback and reviews that you have left for this podcast. I'm so excited because we are just three days away from the Dream into Action Retreat, which is something that I've been planning for months and months. And you can sign up or get more information by texting R-E-A-D-Y. READY to 66866. Registration closes at noon on Friday, so be sure to get signed up if it's something that's been speaking to your heart and if it sounds like something that you might enjoy. We would love to have you there. This last week, we also had a webinar with my friend Addie Martin and I, and there was so much excellent feedback. Everybody that participated emailed and said they really enjoyed it. So, you can get more information and a link to that webinar itself by texting R E A D Y, the same things, to 66866. It's totally free, and the title of it is Five Ways to Bring Your Dream into Action. Also, in great news, Little Podcast is still going strong on the new and noteworthy uh, section for personal journals in iTunes. So, thank you all for those who have left a review and if you haven't done it please head on over to itunes and leave a review for jumpstart your joy next week i'm super excited to announce that i have been invited to join a group of coaches and bloggers that are working on a project called the week of self it is actually 10 days where each of us tackles a new topic like self-worth self-love self-kindness and I took self-acceptance. My post will be up on Tuesday the 24th, but I'm thinking I might do a surprise podcast episode to coincide with that where I talk about self-worth and how it relates to transformation. This week's interview is with Molly Larkin. She is a registered nurse and certified life coach. We courageously dive right into what I call the hard stuff of addiction and the ego, and how to break the cycle of addiction. It's an interview that was so fluid and easy, and almost like I wasn't asking any of the questions. It was definitely like two friends just meeting for coffee, and I think you'll really enjoy the tone and the information that Molly shares. This podcast is being brought to you by the Dream Into Action Online Retreat. It's running November 13th through 15th, and it's all online with 10 speakers, experts, and coaches, including myself, Paula Jenkins, Kate Courageous, Robin Angiak, Addie Martin, Rachel Maddox, Julie Houghton, Liz Applegate, Vanessa Soto, Molly Larkin, and Christine Petty. We're going to help you define your dream, stare down the fears that are holding you back, and make a plan to bring your dream to life. To register or learn more, simply text the word READY, R-E-A-D-Y, to 66866, and you'll be registered to get more information. And now, without further ado, I bring to you the interview with Molly Larkin. Today we have Molly Larkin. She is a registered nurse And life coach and welcome to the podcast Molly thanks Paula I'm really glad to be here yes I am so happy to have you would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you are
1: sure I'd love to I'm I work as a nurse part-time I'm a psychiatric nurse I work in mental health and and I'm also a coach I work with women um, at this point, really exclusively. Um, and I work with women around a variety of issues. A lot of people have been coming to me, I'd say like in the past six months, especially around food and weight and body stuff, something I have a lot of experience in personally, and working with that and really working with any form of suffering as kind of a doorway that we can walk through into greater freedom. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, my orientation is that anything we might experience can open us up to something larger, something, something larger than we might have imagined or created for ourselves.
0: Yeah. I've totally found that the hard stuff,
1: kind of generally speaking.
0: And of course, you can dive into what that means in a little bit. But that definitely, I don't know, you can choose. That's funny, the words of one of my favorite mentors, Father Rusty, comes back to me, but you kind of can choose to be better or bitter about it as a really, like a, a little catchphrase. But like, how do you rise above and how do you fight through because you know there's something more than just what's hard? Um,
1: yeah. yeah. And even... You know, I've been thinking about that orientation that we have toward, like, fighting through. Mm -hmm. And even that, I think, sometimes can be problematic. Like, I think it's more interesting, like, how do we kind of embrace it or include it or, like, you know, the the hard parts or the dark parts or the shadow parts or, you know, how do we actually, like, welcome them Mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of, like, we can be so aggressive with ourselves and trying to like get rid of things. And a lot of people show up to coaching with me and they're like, I just want to like get rid of this problem with food or, or whatever the, whatever the the issue in my relationship, or I just want to stop going bananas on my kids or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. we want to just like be done with it. It's like, we can't just let my children says, you can't just step over yourself as if you weren't there, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, I've been thinking recently about how as a culture, we're so, we fight things, we like go to war on drugs and we battle cancer and we, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I noticed that a lot of us, myself included, are kind of oriented in this way that we go to war on parts of ourselves. I find that ultimately, that doesn't lead to freedom or integration, it kind of leads to, at best, this kind of um, we can kind of get walk up away from something for a while, but we're always kind of like monitoring: is it coming back? Is it you know? There's like this rejection of a part of our experience. I hope I'm making sense.
0: Yeah, no, totally, you are. I mean, I think like thinking of my own example, we'll just go deep here in the <laughs> first five minutes, right? I was diagnosed with PTSD after having my son, and. So that's kind of what I was thinking of when I was saying, like, when you hit the really hard part, sometimes, you know, you have to, I'll just use the word dig out. There was a point there in which I was I was cognizant of the fact that nothing felt right and fighting so hard just to feel normal. But yet I also knew I needed help. Like there was this really deep sense that like okay, this isn't right. (laughs) I can't do this on my own. So how do I find the help? And I was also really cognizant of the fact that had I been even a tiny bit weaker, I, I could sense I wouldn't know what to do. Like I had to dig so deep and I don't really even know what the words are for all of that. But I, in that moment, even realized like there are people that just can't ask for the help because they're so beat down and so scared maybe. And so I wonder if like what you were just saying about fear, is it fear that makes you think I've got to shut the door on this thing. I can't look at it. I can't own it. I can't do anything with it because it's just too much.
1: Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. What you're speaking of in terms of like finding yourself in that place where it's taking everything you have and then even more than you have. Mm-hmm. To just kind of function in your day, because I've lived spaces of my life like that, and and I've had that same thought: like, how do people who don't have resources or loved ones or like some you know basic level of mental health or whatever you know whatever, how do they even get through? As I as I look back at those experiences and the and the places in my life where I where I continue to you know encounter pain. It's like that's where I find compassion in its true sense, like like real ability to like not judge another person's behavior, you know, like or that's where I that's where like so many of my gifts come from. Like people come to me a lot of times in pain, not always, but often they do. And I think because we can sense in other humans when they're willing to like hang with us in that spot. Yeah. And I have You know, it's like, I've spent some time in there, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't say that as like a, it's not a badge of honor. Like, I don't think there's anything noble in suffering. It's just, I kind of know the dark, I know, that terrain. And so I'm willing to be, uh, I'm willing to go in with people, you know, willing to like go in there. Like, let's go in there. Let's poke around. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much goodness in there too. There is. And I think there's something so
0: special about, I know both when I then found help, a therapist, but knowing that she was not afraid to go into the space with me was one of the greatest gifts I think I've ever received. And so I think there was something about the way that she did that. And I think there was something so very special and bold and courageous about her ability to hold the space, And not back off because it made it okay. It meant there was a light in the dark and it probably wasn't going to be as awful as I thought it was. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. And it, it, it allows, you know, when we're sitting with someone and we sense that they're not afraid of our pain, mm -hmm. we, it allows us to go in, you know, it's my strong belief that like the medicine for the pain or the suffering is actually right there inside of it. Mm. It's like, it's like you just can't, you know, you can't go around it. I mean, you can, but that causes all kinds of like suffering to pile on top of pain. You know, when we keep trying to go around it, that looks like addiction or it looks like, mm. you know, it looks, it shows up in lots of different ways. But I feel like one of the amazing and wonderful ways that we are designed as humans is that we actually can't do this work by ourselves right and it's a tough thing I think especially in this culture where we should we have the idea that we should be able to just kind of like overcome anything with enough willpower (laughs) enough like effort we will overcome anything I think it's incredible that we're designed in this way that like we actually need each other like like we need to bear witness to one another and sometimes it's like my turn to do that and I I'm so grateful that, you know, the the work that I do allows me often to be in that role. But when I'm on the other side of things, I take my turn being the one in pain, the one with the one who needs, <laughs> who needs witness. I have no shame about that anymore. Yeah.
0: And that's a hard, I don't mean hard in a bad way, but it's hard to get to the space where you feel like I can put my hand out to the next person because. I've been through this and I know what's on the other side. And I know that through the heart of this mountain of fear, it's not that scary. Mm -hmm. Like I'll help you through, come on through. Like, yeah, it's an amazing gift in some ways. And I surely wouldn't have said that about some of what I've been through, even maybe last year. Like it's amazing how you can move the scary parts and, bust through, I guess, yes. <laughs> being able to be the the light in that space, like, it's kind of crazy.
1: <laughs> it is, it's it's kind of, I think it's beyond the ability of our, you know, our small mind or our ego selves to really understand. I certainly am not here to say like, oh, yes, like, this horrible thing that's happening to you is great news. But on on the other hand, I sort of am saying that. Because I think that the the potential for like deep healing and grace is there, especially when we're totally over our heads as human beings.
0: Yeah, I think, and I'm thinking of a a Pema Chodron thing again, isn't she so amazing? But Mm -hmm. is it? Is it Maitre or Mitri? Maitre, yeah. Maitre about the, the loving kindness that one might extend to themselves, even in those really hard or frustrating or confusing times. Like, how do we accept, what, the shadow part of ourselves? Yeah. And at least sit with it and be okay with the scary parts and not push it away. Like, we like kind of where we started with that, but, like, how do we not block it out and try and get rid of it, even though it's frightening?
1: I know. I I actually, um, that when I discovered that concept, Maitre, I remember actually where I was sitting, reading about it. I was probably 19 years old and I was at the library of the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. And I was reading, I don't know if it was Pema Chodron's book. I don't know what book it was, but I remember finding that word and just being like, Oh, that's what I've been looking for. (laughs) Like, and then you know, subsequently it was like the password for everything. And my son has like <laughs> told everybody, to, my mom's password is my tree. So I had to change all of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like a little funny side note. Um, But I feel like that word for me has been such a, um such an anchor. And, and as I go along in my own life and my own development and healing as a person, more and more, I can see that actually that, that attitude. I mean, like, let's break down what it is for a second. It's like that, that ability to be loving and friendly, really have a friendly attitude toward oneself. Mm-hmm. I feel like that actually is like the super sauce for any kind of change or growth or healing that we might be looking for in our life. And I know for me, it is the most continual practice like it's the hardest Mm -hmm. extending loving kindness to other people for me like for lots of us is actually it's not difficult there's times when I hit a snag but mostly I can forgive and I can see another person's perspective and it's a whole other game when it comes to myself and it requires a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of like Humility and like just a willingness to keep on, to like be fiercely committed to treating myself with kindness and respect.
0: Interesting because I know the first place I heard of that, and not that word, but was in a Christian setting about God's loving kindness for each of us.
1: Mm. I remember hearing someone had gone to speak with the Dalai Lama and a person who did a lot of work with self-compassion and and asked the Dalai Lama about like what about like you know Mm self-hatred and he was like wait like he didn't understand the concept because apparently there's not a a term for that
0: Hmm.
1: and it made me just wonder like I mean I I, some of this I think is universal but I I wonder if this particular orientation that we tend to have towards self Violence <laughs> is especially pervasive here in our consumer culture, where yeah. we are you know in order to sell something, we need to be made to believe that something's wrong with us mm, yeah there's something to something's off and and could use fixing
0: and that's a departure point that we have to buy into to even for advertising of any sort to have a hold on us, really.
1: Uh Yeah, yeah. I want to circle back to what you were saying about God and being a loving God. And I mean, I think that that word is so triggering for people, God, because Hmm. it it conjures the image of like a scary guy in the sky, (laughs) you know, (laughs) for so many people. And it really did for me for a really long time. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you that I really believe that, you know, God is love, like that those words could be interchangeable mm. and that anything that is not love is not God.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reminds me kind of of the, you know, are you motivated by love or fear question? Because I don't really know that. I mean, at least in my own, I don't know, mental <laughs> definitions I feel like the opposite of love isn't hate it's actually fear because I think hate comes from fear yeah but yeah if you're moving towards love then I like you just said I think you're probably moving towards God but if you're letting fear make a decision or fear is weighing into a decision then I don't think that's you're not driving towards what the light or whatever
1: and that's Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I'm getting at when I say that, like, I think that that loving kindness toward ourselves is actually the thing that accelerates growth or or positive change more than anything else. Like, it's like, I'm just writing about this right now, because I, I am seeing it everywhere. And it's like, we have this idea that if we're kind to ourselves, somehow we're just going to like become these blobs that don't ever do anything and just like (laughs) lay around and eat cookies and watch TV or something. But that's not actually what kindness does. Or if we were to just like, if we criticize and shame ourselves enough, we're going to get, get it together. Mm -hmm. And my experience is the extreme opposite that, that when I'm criticizing and shaming myself, even on a subtle level, Somehow I have to find escape from that way of feeling and thinking and being. It's not going to, it's not going to motivate any sustainable change. I mean, I can certainly, we can all shame ourselves into like, I mean, weight loss is such a great example because it's so mm-hmm. easy to talk about. Like, you know, you can shame yourself into losing five pounds, but how you treat yourself on the way to losing those five pounds is who you're going to be when you arrive as the person less five pounds, it doesn't work.
0: Right. Cause the change comes from a place of being afraid or of,
1: of exactly. beating on fear or something. We don't need to make this theoretical. It's like, we can just look at our own lives.
0: <laughs> yeah. What definitely. happens?
1: Punish a child, for example. When I think about the times in my life, when I was like sent to my room, cause I was such a bad girl, I didn't go to my room and think like, you know, I shouldn't have done that thing. It was wasn't the right thing to do and I, it's just not the person I want to be. You know, I went to my room and I was like, I hate my parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I hate my parents. I'm so misunderstood. I'm a terrible person. Pro- shame and punishment don't produce the intended effect. We can approach ourselves in this way of like curiosity like hey, like what what made you do that thing? Like if, you know, if I can honestly say to my son like hey, sweetheart, you are really out of sorts. You know, what's going on? A lot of times what happens is a whole bunch of anger comes out and then a story about something that happened during the day. And then, you know, because we've been doing this work for a while together, <laughs> my kid's intense and he's, he's a really good teacher for me. A lot of times what happens is he'll start crying and he'll say, can we just sit together on the couch for a minute? You know, and he kind of needs somebody to hang with him through all the anger. And, like, you know, a lot of times he's like yell, yelling at me about how I'm so mean or whatever it is, you know, to just like hang in there and stay curious and stay open so that he can get to the heart of what's really hurting. Yeah. And I think it's the same when we're like going to, you know, eat a bunch of peanut butter and chocolate or whatever the case is. It's like, all right, sweetheart, like, that's not a big problem. Like, if you want some peanut butter and chocolate, cool. But is there something going on?
0: Yeah. And is it trying to feed a space that really isn't about food?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, what is it, you know, like Rachel Cole, who, who writes so beautifully about mm. food, you know, she says, like, what is it that you're really hungry for? And a lot of times I think that we act out with food our beliefs about what we deserve to be hungry for. You know, it's like, well, what I would really love is a rest, but that's not happening. So instead I'm going to just go and do this other thing. But, and the problem with that is a lot of times it's like, we then have feelings of guilt or, or we feel sick or, you know, it's like, again, it's, it's, there's the original, like kind of pain of maybe being exhausted. And then we, we act out this behavior and then we're suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's,
0: it's so tricky and until you can catch yourself in it, it's hard to even know that the pattern is there
1: maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and my experience is that just like with a child until I'm really willing to be that kind and open with myself, it's like, I won't even let myself see the pattern, you know, because just like kids know when we're sincere, I mean, my kid knows when I really am willing to be with him. And when I'm like, all right, just can we hurry this up? Cause I've got some emails to respond to, Mm -hmm. you know, I think similarly, like we have to have the intention to really explore what's going on here not like say we're going to explore what's going on here but really mean what we're going to do is like go on a diet or you know what I mean like like it's like we have to really be willing to go in there yeah and I think especially you know in the beginning like we talked about at the top of the call it's like we might not be able to do that by ourselves we might need some support in a recent blog post I'll bring this one up. you made a reflection
0: about changing the relationship you have with time and the and this moment or the present moment um, and that when you can change that relationship, dysfunctional ways of checking out fall away quite naturally was your quote um, and you, I think in the context you'd observe that both around um food and alcohol that you would, that might, you may have used those in the past to halt time. Mm. I've never seen anyone explain, I mean, if I may call it addiction or using oh, yeah. something yeah, addiction, mm-hmm. Okay, in that way, do you, would you be open to explaining that a little bit just for people that that might resonate
1: with? Yeah, of course. I think that when we're in this distorted relationship with ourselves, it shows up everywhere, right? It shows up in our relationship with time, with food, with alcohol, all these things. Um, I think that the one way to look at the primary problem is that we're believing our minds, our thoughts. I'm trying to kind of like not go too far out with this. <laughs> um, so so we're having these painful thoughts and we're identifying with them, right? Like mm-hmm. all day long, we have all these you know, um, stressful thoughts. And we think that's us, right? That's not us. That's our thoughts. But when we have no separation from them, when we're identified with them, you know, another way of saying that is like, we're identifying with our ego or our small selves. Mm -hmm. Um, it gets very painful in there, you know, and, and, the thing about living in a mind that is um just full of painful thoughts, with we, we, we cannot help but when we're our thoughts really do create our world, and I mean I can say a lot more about that. Like there's like eight topics in here, but <laughs> yeah. but when we're when we're stuck in believing these painful thoughts, like an example would be like I'm never gonna get over this crap with food, or like something's wrong with me, or I'm too fat or there's there's on and on and on. There's a million ways that we have these painful thoughts when we're identified with them. And we think that's us at some point we have to find an escape. We have to find a moment of peace. Like there's just no other choice. Yeah. And a lot of times what that looks like is addiction. And I think that the primary addiction is to believing our thoughts. And I know that sounds kind of woo woo, but I mean, it's like, you don't need to take my word for it. Just start to pay attention to your own mind. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that it manifests, I think that we're a culture of addicted people. I mean, I myself know the pain of addiction really, really deeply because I've, traveled that road and then, you know, the road of recovery as well. But I don't see my suffering when I was addicted as unique. Um, I see that people, you know, there's so many ways to be addicted. It's like a way, anything to get a little relief from the relentlessness of these painful thoughts. I'm just
0: absorbing that. Right. Because we can't stay in that hurtful, painful
1: place. It's too much. You you have to get a break now and then, you know, and for some of us, it gets really intense in there. You know, I mean, for all Mm -hmm. of us at certain points. And for some of us, I think we're just, we're wired that way or early experiences happen or other things, you know, somewhere along the way, we start to believe these, and identify with these really painful beliefs. Yeah. And the, the, the really amazing, amazing, amazing thing is that they're not even true.
0: Right. right. And that
1: there is, there are these ways that we can question them. You know, I mean, um, you know, I love Byron Katie and, <laughs> yes. and, and a lot of what I'm, what I'm sharing here is deeply influenced by her work and, and my own experience of engaging with that work Um, but there's it's really true that like she says an unquestioned mind when we're just believing our thoughts that is the world of suffering Mm -hmm. creating this world of suffering and it sounds so simple and it is so simple um, but it takes a lot of willingness to question what it is that we've believed and taken for granted all our lives, you know, and I found that I thought there was something wrong with me, like just something fundamentally wrong. And I have done a lot of, of the work, Uh Byron Katie's work and a lot of other work around that belief. And well, first of all, I found out that like, we're all, most of us are walking around thinking there's something (laughs) wrong with me. No, there's something wrong with me. No, it's you. No, it's me. You know, like it's, it's, but the thing is, it's not even true. Right. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. Like we're humans. We're, we're a mess and we're, we're just fine too.
0: Yes. And I think, um, for people who aren't really familiar with Byron Katie's work, it starts with, you come up with what's kind of a, Something that you're struggling with or something you're judging your neighbor, I believe, on. And, and then you ask yourself, is it true? And, I mean, if you haven't seen her, folks, uh, we'll link up some stuff. But more often than not, either your thoughts or your belief about something, when you ask, is it true? And then the second question is also, is it really true? Isn't thats is that right?
1: <laughs> Can you absolutely know? Yeah. yeah. Can you absolutely know that it's true? And...
0: When you really look at things through those two lenses, it's oftentimes, like you're saying, Molly, it's not true. Like you can't, without a shadow of a doubt, know that this thing is true. You know, like it, we could do one with, am I bad at math? Well, no, I can't
1: prove that. Like <laughs> It's not
0: true. It's not absolutely true. Right. And,
1: and interestingly, what you get to do next is see, like, what happens, like, when I'm believing that thought? What happens when I'm believing the thought there's something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like a fake everywhere I go. You know, like I I make sure that I look a certain way because I want to make sure that I don't appear to be not together. You know what I mean? Like I want to not get too close to people because I don't want them to find out. You know, there's all these ways, like something's wrong with you. Like what do I do? Like uh, if you drop into that moment when you're believing that thought, you'll get a wealth of information about what happens when you're living from the place of believing this painful thought. And then as you go deeper in questioning, it's really a meditative process. Once you really undo a thought, what she says, and it's a great uh, illustration is that it's like you're walking along in the desert and you see a snake and you're terrified. Like there's this snake. Oh my God. And as you get closer you see that the snake is actually a rope. Hmm. And so you're never able to terrify yourself with that rope. Again, I mean, you could look at the <laughs> rope a million times and it's not going to, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to scare you anymore. Yeah. And she said that what, you know, what she's discovered is that all of her painful thoughts weren't true, but that you have to, that's a, it's a process that we have to go through for ourselves. And the work is only one way, um, powerful way. But, you know, I think, think that ultimately all the ways that we work, spiritual work and coaching work and therapy and practices that we may engage in, like we're working with the mind, the confused mind, I might add. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: It's interesting as well to me that when you start to do the work, but I don't necessarily mean Byron Caney's just any sort yeah. of work where you open up your curious mind and start to look at questioning if it's true or not, the painful thoughts that is. I think regardless if someone is looking for joy and this is a the way they're looking for it or not, it kind of, it opens up the doors to freedom. I, I don't know if, if you find that to be true, but like, I don't know. I think joy becomes more possible <laughs>
1: once you dive in. paradoxically yeah um yes I'm like amen yeah yes Yes. I mean I I think that for me freedom and joy might be the same thing Mm. yeah I find it when I am willing to go after the truth like when I'm willing to not like take it on as like a project like okay I'm gonna find the truth but like when I'm willing to really be like okay, like what is true here? That's something that can take a lot of different forms, you know, looking for the truth. But but I really have found again and again and again that the truth is much kinder than my ideas about life or myself or you or you or you. The truth is kinder than my ideas of what reality is. Hmm. there's an ease and
0: a freedom around that. And, and I think the paradox really is what I'm starting to realize. I don't know if you've seen that as well, but like usually instead of trying to control something and hold it tighter and closer to make it work, kind of like you're saying, make a project out of it. Usually if you let go a little bit, I don't know why, but things become
1: easier. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because, you know, this, the the way that we move when we're moving from our idea of how things should be is small. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. um, like we take these things on. It's like an ego project. We want to do this because we want to get to here and we want to do, you know, and the thing is, it's like, it, it's almost like we're, we, we're operating in tunnel vision from that place, you know, and when we're able to say, okay, then I have no idea what's going on here. Like, <laughs> let's see what happens today. Um, totally available and I'm going to do my best and show me what you got. Like, show me how to show up. Mm, yeah. It's like we're, our eyes are open to all these things that I've always been there. We just couldn't see them because we were so busy going after the thing we think we want, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, my life is a, a dance between these two things, you know, <laughs> like, it's just yeah. like, and I can feel it now. I, mean, I spent yesterday in that state of like, Oh, so many things to do, so many things to do, you know? Yeah. It's almost like I can laugh at myself now because, A, it's it's painful to, to operate like that. And mm-hmm. it's harder. I'm much less effective, really. Yeah. But, you know, that those old thoughts, that ego, that small self does not die easily. <laughs> you know I mean? No, like, no. And it's pretty sure that if it doesn't, like, get everything on the to-do list done, then... Who knows what could happen? It's not going to be good. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love the term ego project. <laughs> like,
0: I think I'm yeah. going to have to
1: take that with me because that's, yeah, I think. Oh, my God. Like so much of my life is an ego project. It's like humiliating if I really take a look, you know. Right. And, and so the, the truth is that's no big deal, really. It's, yeah. it's funny and it's cool because we're all doing it. But it's also like the choice. Becomes clearer to me all the time, like like you know, is that the way that you want to move, like is that the way you want to orient your life or or do you want to have this like much bigger thing, this life of uh, this like you know this surrendered life mm-hmm. I mean either way we 're not in control, no, that
0: control is an illusion if you 're operating from the <laughs>
1: the ego right like yeah not reality it's not reality if you're operating from the ego or if you're not operating from the ego it's like either way (laughs) you know like good good luck with that you know like yeah you know my life has not gone as planned that's for sure and thank god right yes (laughs) totally thank god you know I don't I don't make great plans a lot of the time (laughs) it's the truth (laughs) Well, yeah, and I don't think I should have been an
0: astronaut, so that's fine. Was that
1: one of your plans? <laughs>
0: well, as a little bitty girl, yeah, I
1: love it, yeah.
0: But what about surrender? Um, I get the sense that for you, surrender is related to kind of your deeper connection to God or Source or the universe or whatever word we want to use. Yeah. Is is that? Do you see that to be true? Or how has surrender worked for you?
1: Surrender works for me every time. <laughs> yes. That's like the short answer. And it's really true. And I forget all the time. So it's, it's like, um, like w- surrender meaning acknowledging that A, I don't, I'm not running the universe mm. and B, that something is. And that it's a a power that is both within me and within everything. You know, I really believe there's nothing that's not spiritual. Mm -hmm. Like for me, surrender is to like acknowledge that that's true. And then to ask, open up and ask for some direction or some help from, I really know not what, I mean, I can't say that like, here's what God is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think language can touch it. That's why I'm like, I don't really care if we call it God or if we call it love or if you call it like, you know, the hokey Pokey. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. but I, I think it's this thing that that connects us. It's this thing that's much larger than our personality. Um, and I believe it's a loving universe. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot that I don't understand. But I've experienced directly again and again that when I really surrender to that love, both within me, I'm surrendering to something in myself just as much as I am something that's not in myself. Like when I let that part of me take the lead, like that part of me that is love take the lead my life is just so much more peaceful and sweet and connected and fluid. And it's not like everything goes according to my plan. It's just that like I get to be in my life. And when I'm in that other space of like trying to be the director and the controller of the universe, it's almost like I'm like behind a glass wall Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm like watching my life and I'm like trying really hard to like move the pieces, but I can't quite get at it. Yeah. Surrender is just a lot more fun because I, you know, truth is, I don't know what's coming down the pike. I don't know what's happening, what's going to happen, but I don't want to miss it. Even the, even the painful parts, I don't want to miss them. And being in control, I don't
0: know that, you know, if we, we force ourselves into what we think is the control role, we can't steer around the hard stuff anyway. No. I'm curious about what I mean if we could talk to ego what does ego think it's going to save us from like it hasn't really proven itself to be good at saving me from the hard stuff so no yeah, it's
1: i an think interesting, ego's yeah. only interest is in keeping i think that it doesn't even really exist i think that there's nothing actually to it it's insubstantial And I think it's only concern is to keep the illusion of itself alive. Mm. You know, and I often say to my clients, because I've noticed this in myself, like the the way you can tell very quickly if it's an ego voice or, you know, we could also call that inner critic or uh, wounded child. There's a lot of different ways to talk about it. But the way that we can tell is that it basically, it often gives us the message that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So that, that it's the same voice that tells you, go eat the whole bag of cookies that then tells you what the hell were you thinking? Eating the whole bag of cookies. You're a fat pig. You know what I mean? Like it's the Mm -hmm. same voice. It's like, and it's constantly like pushing us this way and then pushing us this way. And it's like, no, this, 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 this. And I think it's only concern really is to keep itself alive. I think. And when we're identified with it, we think our very life is at stake when our, our personality gets threatened. Yeah, our concept of who we think we are gets threatened, and we respond as though, as though our life was our our identity is what's at stake. Yeah, it strikes me
0: that that is probably what fuels so much of, I don't know, the very negative behaviors that come up. I don't. I call them that, but I mean more of even violent behavior. Yeah, is is that where people are operating from? Is that the ego has just never been questioned.
1: Yes, I think that's exactly right. You know, and that's exactly what Byron Katie teaches. And what I, you know, I've tested this on myself is like, when we're believing these, these painful thoughts, we can inflict, we're capable of inflicting a lot of suffering, you know, that, on the other hand, all of us really are innocent, in a sense, because we do the best we can, believing what we're believing in the moment. You know, if you can find a moment in time where there's something that you feel so guilty about or like so ashamed of, if you take a look at what you were believing in that moment, you'll see that you really had no other choice but to act as you acted in that moment. Yeah. And I realize that's kind of a radical thing to say, and it's not my concept, but I've tested it in my life and found it to be true without exception. Right. Right. And do you mean that by
0: kind of ego has taken the reins? It's the only option you could see in that specific moment, or in that moment, like if somebody cuts you off on the freeway and you flip them off, and that's if that's the example. But yeah, a low risk example, a good example. Probably, if I did that, I would have believed that person was a jerk and intending to hurt me or harm me, and so that was my reaction. That's a great Even example. Even if yes. I pull myself out of it after. Well, of course, they probably didn't really mean me harm. But in that moment, yeah, I get what you're saying, that this is this was the logical reaction. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And And then you can multiply that to being much more destructive or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or much less things that happen every day, all day. Yeah. And that's why practices like, I mean, even just the question, is it true? I've had people come back to me and be like, oh my God, I just kept asking myself that this week. Mm -hmm. And it's really changed my experience. It does. Yeah. It's like, it's profound because we do, we walk around here, we walk around and we're just like thinking, believing, thinking, believing, thinking, you know, like there's no Mm -hmm. space. Yeah. And so if you find yourself, that's what I would offer as a practice to to people listening is like, if you find yourself in pain at some point today, and chances are we do, you know, I, I use the term pain very loosely. You know, chances are you find yourself in some moment of discomfort every day. Just check in. What am I thinking? Yeah. And then the question, is it true? Just nice. like really wondering, is that true? Somebody walks by us in the morning and, and doesn't say hello and we are like lost. Like they don't like me. Uh, they're, they're such a jerk. They're so self-centered, whatever it is. Yeah. There's hundreds of possibilities for why that happens. Yeah. You know, many of them having nothing to do with us.
0: That kind of gets into the three types of business I know that Byron Katie has explained. I don't know if you want to walk through that as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I love the three kinds of business because it's so helpful for me. <laughs> it it it's is. so helpful for me. So, the, you know, she says that there's, there's three kinds of business. There's mine, my business. There's your business. And then there's God's business. The great thing about the three kinds of business is that, A, it's a quick thing to, to find out, like, like, whose business am I in? And, B, the thing is that a lot of times, like, if you're feeling lonely – or you're feeling separate, or you're feeling depressed, check and see whose business you're in. What I've found is that when I'm lonely, I'm very rarely in my own business. This actually just happened to me on Friday. Was it Friday? Yeah. I was home and feeling a little lonely. And like I was like, oh, whose business am I in? And I took it just to like, did a quick check. And noticed that I was totally not in my own business. You know, really, I noticed that I, I'm often not in my own business. Like I'm thinking about somebody else and what they might be thinking about me. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> a little embarrassing, but it's true. And it happens regularly. And But just by asking that question, whose business am I in? then returning to my own business, which happened to be that I was sitting here on Friday night in my sweet house. It was quiet. My son was was not here. I was by myself in this sweet, beautiful space I've created. And I was able to just like come back home into my body, into my business, which is, hmm, what do I want to do right now? Actually, what I noticed was I wasn't actually lonely at all. You know, if I was lonely, I could have made a plan to like call a friend or do something about that. But what I noticed was what I was experiencing is loneliness was actually just self-abandonment. I wasn't in my own experience. Mm. I was over in somebody else's experience. That is deep, yeah. Yeah,
0: and once you kind of return to your own experience, I would imagine, just to tie it back to joy, is you probably <laughs> you feel more joyful if you're attending to your own business, like you know, not you specifically, also, but... Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I do. I do, yeah. I do. I actually think my capacity for joy is really only available when I'm in my own business Mm. because nobody's home when I'm not with myself. There's nobody home. Yeah. I, I think we have tremendous capacity for joy when we're willing to wholeheartedly be with our own experience, like be on our own side and return to our own business and question these minds, tell us something's wrong all the time.
0: I really like that.
1: And it's so simple,
0: <laughs> and yet so it's, hard.
1: It's, it's so constant. You had um, asked a question about what do you think are, are some things that you would recommend to, to jumpstart joy? Yeah. I was thinking about that and thinking like, I think we've got to have a practice. Mm. Yeah. You know, I can jumpstart joy in, in a lot of different ways, like by, by music and dancing and movement. And like, there's a lot of ways that I, that will reliably increase my joy. Yeah. But I think overall, it's kind of a long game. It's so constant. Our thinking, our, um, and our responding is so ingrained that it requires, you've got to have a practice to renew your perspective. At least I do. Like I have, I actually have a handful of them in this point in my life. And the other thing I would say, is there's got to be support. We're designed to need one another. And so it's like, if you don't have, it can be, it can be community like friends around you. It can be hired support. It doesn't matter, but I think most of us need more of it than we allow ourselves yeah
0: and is that the ego saying you don't you know what I mean, you can do this yourself so you don't need these other people or whatever It feels like that's also tied in there of
1: oh yeah, yeah, I mean, the ego's favorite like story or at least one of them is like we are just about it to get it to get it together here once <laughs> and for all, like we are just about to do it, it's around that corner, it's like the next plan it's a like, just go paleo. Just, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it loves a project. Like, we're just about yes. to put this together. So don't tell anybody. Yeah. And we you don't know? need help here. <laughs> you don't need any help, mm. you know? And then the other one is like, oh, my God, you need all the help because you're so damaged. And, like, just mm. have somebody fix you. I mean, I've done both those things. Sure. You yeah. know, like, oh, my God, I just need to find the right therapist because I'm so damaged. It's like, no, no. We just we, we need places where we can really tell the truth. Yeah. Just really tell the truth and be received and seen and have somebody hold our wholeness when we forget it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: And it sounded like you had a, a third thought on how to jumpstart your joy.
1: Yeah, you know, practice, support, and kindness. Yeah, kindness in the beginning, kindness in the middle, kindness in the end, not waiting for somebody to show up and tell you that you're worthy of your own kindness. You know, I think it's a really, really courageous thing to be on your own side.
0: Thank you for that. That is a gorgeous, a gorgeous answer to the jumpstart your joy. How do you do it? Kind of question.
1: It's okay to just start exactly where you are. It's going to be ongoing work. So mm-hmm. might as well just get going.
0: Yeah. And return again if you feel that you've left the path. There's yes. no reason not to return and start the work again or continue the work. Or
1: Yes, that is exactly right, Paul. And that's actually what I would like want to close with. Like if there's one mm-hmm. thing that, that I could pass along is I hear people all the time and they're like, I was doing so great. You know, I was like doing the coaching. I was doing all these like practices and I was doing them, doing them. And then I just like blah, tank. You know what I mean? Yes. Like or like I was like eating so well and then you know what I mean? And it's like we think that like we're like miles off into the forest, but really we're like one step away from the path. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, no big deal. Just like step right back on.
0: Come back home, yeah. Right. Come back minute.
1: to it. Like yeah. next breath. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ah. That is good stuff.
0: Thank you, Molly. This oh, is this has so been fun so I don't know so dreamy and thoughtful and, and I mean that in the most kind and loving way like it's just <laughs> a, it's, it's beautiful to speak with you about all this so oh, ah, right back you. you thank you thank you so much to Molly for being so vulnerable and transparent and sharing so much it just was a real joy to have you on as a guest and thank you to each and every one of you for coming back and listening I really appreciate it And love just love this audience so much Molly will be leading one of the sessions on fear and doing more of the work that she talked about in that interview during dream into action so if that has piqued your interest she will be in the lineup and so you can text the word ready R E A D Y to 66866 to get more information and get a $10 off coupon for joining us starting on Friday Next week, I have an interview with Brady and Amber Black. They are a married couple who lives in Beirut, Lebanon. They work in the Home of Hope, educating abandoned and orphaned children that come from throughout the Middle East. They are also the powerhouse behind the website, SeriousCreatures.net, which has a lot of whimsical and beautiful art that is all drawn by Brady. They are my very first international interview, and Brady and Amber are going to blow you away and leave you feeling so inspired. So I hope you'll come back next week for that interview. And until then, I hope your world is filled with so much joy.